0: this is Steve Campbell from the C3 Church. Thank you for joining us for this podcast. Our prayer for you is that you'll be blessed, equipped, and enabled as you listen to this message. God bless you. Well, I've got the privilege today of introducing our speaker this morning. And uh, this speaker is a fantastic speaker. She's not just good she's fantastic no pressure she's also a great friend of ours and i feel a real privilege to introduce elspeth darley as she preaches today uh carrying on carrying on with our new series the second week so if you would just give her a round of applause when she comes up on the platform we're gonna have a little video for 30 seconds and then at the end of that video just give her a big cheer and a clap and then she's gonna smash it out of the park. No pressure Elspeth. Right, roll the VT. goodness me. Um, It is so good to be with friends again this morning, both kind of here in the room in Cambridge, online, wherever you're watching. It's so good. I just want to pause though and just say, I thought worship was so poignant this morning. What a reorienting. So thank you for your obedience and leading that, Byron. I feel like... Today is a re-day, a resetting, a reorienting, a restoration day that God wants to do in our life. There was so much about Jesus being the center of it all, and I hope you see the echoes in my message. So thanks for your obedience in the songs this morning. I think God really is, I know God really is at work here today with all of us. So, I've got my blazer on because I'm going to do business. Um, <laughs> I stole that line from somebody else, so I can't take ownership of that one. But it really is a privilege to be here. So, thank you, Pastor Stephen Angie, for inviting me to talk this morning and continuing this series that Andrew Ollerton kickstarted last week. If you haven't listened to that message, I'd so encourage you to do so. Um, it's just so gospel centric. And if you haven't got his book, I'd really recommend it. It's called The Bible A Story That Makes Sense of Life. I don't know if we've got it on sale. Hopefully, we do otherwise you've got the world at your fingertips with the internet particularly if you're online you can probably get it in the next hour delivered to your house I'd encourage you to do that so it's really great wherever you're watching maybe you've traveled in maybe you don't actually live in Cambridge or Cambridgeshire maybe you're watching anywhere in the world and I wonder how you ended up in the place that you're in at the moment so for me uh, I've been in Cambridge for about seven years but I didn't originate from here before coming to Cambridge for postgraduate studies, I was in London doing my undergrad where I met my lovely husband, Joshua. Ah, oh, there we go. Nice to get a bit of audience participation. And then before London, I actually grew up on the south coast, a place called Dorset. And before Dorset, I originated as a twinkle in my dad's eye. That is, I don't know if this is something my parents just said to me or if this is something that all parents say to their children. But when I said, mum, dad, where have I come from? Where are my origins? I was literally told, quote, unquote, oh, You were a twinkle in your dad's eye, we kissed and cuddled, quote-unquote, and you uh, came into the world. And I remember taking this so literally that I I had a picture of my mum and dad on their wedding day, and before you could zoom with your fingers, I held it really close, and I looked in my dad's eyes to see if I could see little baby Elspeth kind of peering out through the window. But I was so struck with this idea of origins. Where did I come from? And I think us as a culture and humanity in general are very obsessed with this idea, which is why we love the TV shows that Andrew mentioned last week. Who do you think you are? Where have you come from in the world? Which lineage or family line have you come from? Because if we can understand our origins, where we've come from, twinkle or not, we can understand why am I here? What is the point in it all? Now, this is the stuff of philosophy or existentialism. The the questions about my existence here on earth, this stuff has been baffling people for centuries, generations. In fact, there was one French philosopher who said, "'Life is so absurd, it has no meaning.'" It has, it, it's just empty, it's a bit like a cosmic joke. In fact, this guy, Albert Camus, said humanity is a bit like a mythological creature at the bottom of a hill with a huge boulder on his back. And every day we're condemned to walk up the hill. Oh, only we think we're getting somewhere, we think we've reached somewhere, and then the boulder rolls off all the way back down the hill. We're going back down, then the next day, here we go. And in fact, the French have a saying for this: "Metro bolo, dodo: travel, work, sleep, repeat, there's something about life. Is it absurd? Is it a cruel cosmic joke that we're all condemned to? I wonder if you've ever had questions about what is the point of life? The answer is not 42, if some of you are thinking that. <laughs> what is the point of life? It's quite often we can kind of get caught up in the cycle of things. Uh, I call it the conveyor belt of life, and I've had friends then who come off the other end of the conveyor belt having done school exams, university exams, and then they've got the rest of the world ahead of them and they get overwhelmed with anxiety. What is the point in it all? What is my place here? How do I exist? Maybe you have poured your life into caring for a loved one, maybe climbing the corporate ladder, maybe trying to make your own meaning or escape from the question of meaning. And then sometimes, like the year we've just had or 18 months we've just had, we get thrown off course, our narrative changes. COVID, we work from home. Maybe we've lost our job. Maybe we were caring for somebody and that person is no longer with us. Maybe we retire. And suddenly these big questions, what is life all about? resurface for us. Now, the Bible speaks right into the heart of that question. In fact, the Bible begins answering that question, question, your origins, where have you come from, and what is the point in your existence? In fact, the book of Genesis literally means beginnings, and that is where we're going to go to today to try and answer this question, where have we come from, and what is the point of life? So, big question, who's excited? Yeah bit of trepidation as well there we go okay but before we get going before we read scripture I'd love it if we would just pray together so father as we approach your word the bible we believe that it is life-giving we believe it's transformational so as we open up the pages God we open up our hearts our minds our ears to you today we just lay open before you God would you search us would you speak to us Would you revive us, reset us, reorient, restore us this morning? We pray in your name. Amen. Okay, so Genesis 1, here we go. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So before the world as we know it nothing existed. There was no form, there was no meaning, there was no purpose, there was nothing as we might imagine. Now you might say, okay, well, there was water, so surely there was something. But in ancient kind of Middle Eastern texts, water often symbolizes chaos. So there's something here in the creation story right at the beginning which says this, God creates out of chaos, order, out of nothingness and no meaning, no form. He creates form and meaning and order. So however we want to interpret the book of Genesis, we're not looking at the mechanics, we're looking at the meaning, which says this. If we believe that God created everything, then we can look at everything and say, okay, how does this speak of the creator? In other words, it's a bit like God's fingerprints or his autograph is written out on the world around us that we can see. In fact, a songwriter... In the book of Psalms in chapter 19, he says the heavens declare the glory of God. So we can look at the heavens and it tells us something about the character and nature of God. In fact, a man called Paul, who's writing in the second part of the Bible to a church in Rome, he says this. For God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So we can look at the world around us, and we can say, okay, this points back to a creator. I remember about a decade ago now, I was in Burundi, Central Africa, in a really rural province, so no light pollution. I wake up, I go outside uh, my accommodation, and I am struck by how light the darkness is. What I mean is the moon was so bright, there were shadows. as, As bright as you get in the day, the contrast was so strong. And I just remember thinking, my goodness, God, your provision is immense, that even the moon gives light, as light as it is during the day, but it's at night time. I'm bamboozled by that. So something about creation pointed me back towards the creator. In the same way, I've got a non-Christian friend, and he said he went camping, and he's very vocal, and he said, uh, I was there lying in front of the stars, and he said, for that moment, you know, don't read too much into it, but for that moment, I looked up at the stars And I thought, wow, I feel like there is something that transcends me, something that is beyond me, beyond time and space that's immaterial, that must be powerful to kind of have caused all of this stuff. And for me, I would say, well, that's God. And I wonder if for some of you as well, maybe you've been out in creation in nature and you just think, wow, this is incredible. I see orderliness. I see meaning. And so what we can then conclude is if humanity or if everything has been created we can ask of of it why why was it created what is the point that God reveals himself or displays his glory through creation this is our second point identity and purpose then so the story of Genesis continues and it says this in chapter 1 verse 26 onwards Then God said, let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created humanity in his own image. In the image of humanity, he created the male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. See, humanity is the pinnacle of God's creation. What do I mean? When God creates other things, he speaks it into being. Let there be light, let vegetation grow up from the ground. But when it comes to humanity, he says, hey, I'm going to take that which is material and I'm going to imbue it with my spirit, my breath. Something about a spirit or a soul or a consciousness within humanity that sets it apart from everything else. And with that comes God's blessing and what's called a creation mandate, purpose for this creation. Now, as an aside, this, friends, is the foundation for your self-esteem. Your self-worth isn't dependent on the rest of creation. It's not dependent on your achievements or your mistakes that you made, other people's mistakes, an accident of birth. No, no. Your self-esteem and your self-worth is based on the fact that you have been made in the likeness of God. So, friends, you are glorious. Oh, you are glorious. And this should be the foundation then of how you view yourself. Nothing in the world should deter, detract, take away from the value that God has placed in you in these jars of clay. And so then what is this purpose? What is the purpose of life then? If God has given us existence, why? Now to summarise this, a group of very, Christi- um, very well, very Christian, yeah, Christian, very clever group of uh, leaders in the 17th century in the UK gathered together, and they said, right, we need to write down a confession of faith, a statement for what we believe, um, a catechism, if you will. And the first question they asked themselves is this: What is man, man's chief end? What is the point of humanity? And they came up with this answer: Humanity's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. So what is the point of our life? To glorify God, to reflect the image that we have of God and to enjoy this relationship. In other words, to enjoy knowing and being known by God the creator. In fact... We can do that then through creation. The rest of creation testifies to the glory of God. And so when we interact with the gifts that God has given us in creation, it points to and towards the giver. And we see this in Genesis. Humanity is told, hey, enjoy cultivating plant life, stewarding the animals. Find work productive and enjoyable and satisfactory. Enjoy being in very good relationship with other humans. In fact, this is why Paul, again, the man who wrote a lot of the second part of your Bible, says in 1 Corinthians, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, in other words, however you interact with creation, do it all for the glory of God. Now, I think this is true of all relationships, because if we are to enjoy knowing and being known by God, that's relational. It's not just an abstract thought or a principle, something out there that we kind of just see a fingerprint of. No, no, it's relational. So if if you were to say, well, how does my husband Joshua delight in me? How does he honor, respect, admire, in other words, kind of glorify, glorify or glory in me? It might be like this. If Josh came to me and said, Elspeth, I want to take you out to dinner. I want to get the nicest food, the nicest drink. I'm going to take you in the nicest car, go to the nicest venue. You're going to wear incredible clothes. And I'm doing all of that stuff, yeah, I'm doing all of that because I am happiest when I'm with you and it is my pleasure and my joy to get to know you better I would be like wow well of course he would probably do that but I would say my goodness I am so delighted I am most glorified when you are most satisfied in me I am most honoured when you want to spend time with me. And you might do that through creation, the meals out, the nice drink, the great venue, great clothes, but ultimately, that's, that's, that's the stuff, isn't it? That's all a vehicle for getting to know and enjoy knowing and being known in that relationship. And that's the same for us, friends. That is the purpose of and behind creation. Now you might say, well, when I look around the world, I don't see just pleasure, I see chaos, I see natural disasters, I see cancers and pain, I see broken relationships. So how can life be about enjoyment and enjoying God? And this is our third point. We know that something has gone wrong and Genesis doesn't shy away from this. In fact, Genesis 2, let's read from it, verse 9. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. Enjoy yourself, enjoy known and being known in my creation. But there's one tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from it because you'll die if you do. Chapter 3, verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of that tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Oh, the shame. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So this is Genesis' explanation, then, for how pain, sin, suffering entered the world, And Paul, again, the man later who writes much of the New Testament, reflects on this um, in the book of Romans. And he says, pain entered the world because humanity worshipped and served the created things that they found desirable and pleasing in and of themselves and divorced it from the creator who is forever praised. And so what happened then with humanity is that they exchanged the glory of the immortal gods for images made to look like human beings, birds, and reptiles. And in other words, we, our enjoyment terminated. It ended in the pleasure itself, in the creation itself, and we cut off giving glory to the giver of the gift. Now, it can be very easy to say, oh, that's a great story, isn't it? But actually, we all do this in our lives, at least I certainly do, where we elevate things like pleasure, comfort, salaries, food, friendships, the stuff of life as good in and of itself and we divorce it from the giver of that gift in fact the bible says that when we do that when we terminate our enjoyment in our pleasure just in the created and not linking it back to the creator that's called idolatry and we're called to be worshippers. and no matter how much you thank god for that which you're elevating above him doesn't make it any less idolatrous And so what we're called to do then is to use creation, to use the stuff that God has given us, the gifts around us, as a springboard for reflecting back to the giver. Whatever we do, eat, drink, shop, spend money, talk to people, we do it for the glory of God. So what does this actually look like then in practical terms, because it can all be, sound quite abstract. Um, By way of example, I love coffee. I think I'm not alone in this. I like spending my money on it. I like the taste of it. I like going to venues to try new coffee. I even like talking about it, apparently. I like coffee, something in God's creation. How then can I use what I eat and what I drink to the glory of God, to glorify God, to link the gift back with its giver? I was really challenged by this, and um, I'm on mat leave at the moment, and I've kind of done this periodically in the past, but I I say, okay, God, I'm going to live and move and have my being in your creation. So I'm going to walk to a coffee shop, but hey, I want to remember you in the gift that you've given me of coffee. So when I'm out and about, please, you know, tell me if, you know, if you want me to do something, I just want to link these two things up. And as I'm walking, I feel God say, oh, there's somebody in a brown jumper. So I think, okay, great. There might be somebody in a brown jumper. Uh, we'll, We'll see what, we'll see how that goes. And then a little bit further on in my journey there, I felt God say, "Oh, remember to text so and so." Um, They're not really my friend, actually, but text so and so. And I thought, "Okay, I'll do that." I'm standing in the queue. I turn around, and who is in a brown jumper? But the person I'm supposed to text. So here I am. I order my coffee. Great gift from God. And I chat to this person we speak together for about an hour and at the end of it we pray together. My goodness, this is what we do. We take that which God has given us, the gift, something like coffee, something that speaks of goodness and enjoyment and pleasure, but it reflects and it magnifies something else that God wants to do. Friends, this is what we are called to do and if we do this, everything in life has meaning. Going and getting a coffee, doing your washing up, talking to somebody, going to work, Everything we do is imbued with meaning because God, the creator, is at work linking all things for his glory. And so then, when we think about where does evil and sin and suffering come to play in this, Genesis basically says because humanity have a choice, we can choose to worship the gift rather than the giver, we also have the capacity then for not choosing God, and that has an implication or a consequence So for Adam and Eve, it meant separation, self-consciousness. They were so self-aware, they became crippled by shame. Physical pain entered the world, they found work unproductive. And similarly, our choices impact the fabric of the material world. What I choose to do with my waste, how that affects the ecosystem, where I buy my clothes from impacts cotton production and the livelihoods of other people the other side of the world. The words I choose to use, they can either build people up or tear them down. Everything has a consequence. Now, you might be thinking, okay, well, are we then bound, stuck by other people's choices, much like Camus' figure of the guy with a boulder on his back, to this kind of monotony of life? Are we just bound to pain? And the fourth point I want to make is that there is a hope of redemption. And Genesis spells this out so clearly. Genesis 3. This is where God is speaking and pronouncing kind of the consequence um, of what's happening. God said to the serpent, who represents evil pain and suffering or the stuff of life that leads us astray. Because you've done this, you're cursed, cursed beyond all cattle and wild animals, cursed to slink on your belly and eat dirt all your life. I'm declaring war between you, sin, pain, suffering, and the woman, between your offspring and hers. This offspring will crush your head. In other words, he will be utterly defeated and you might bruise his heel. Now, this sounds very poetic, and it's poetic because it's prophetic. It's anticipating a day in which evil will be totally and utterly destroyed. Its head will be crushed by somebody that comes as a human from the line of Eve within humanity, and he will suffer, his, his heel will be bruised, but in comparison to the pain that he will experience, pain, sin, sickness, death will be totally destroyed. So how does this happen? To remove pain... And suffering from the world, really, we need creation to be renewed. We, as humans, need to be regenerated so that we would choose God once more. And in Jesus' death, his life, his death, and his resurrection, we see this. Let me read from 2 Corinthians. We have concluded, then, that Christ... Has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who might live no longer live to themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What's it saying? It's saying that when Jesus hung on the cross and suffered the pain and evil and injustice in the world was absorbed in his suffering, so that when he died, it died with him. And when he rose again to new life, humanity got new life with him again. And this is what else it says. Now we look inside. And what we see is that anyone united with Jesus gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life emerges. Look at it. All this comes from the God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with him through Jesus, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. Friends, through Jesus we have been freed to choose him again. We have new life to enjoy him, to enjoy knowing him and being known by him, which is the purpose of life. Everything can have meaning when it is found in him. And one day, we do believe this. It might feel like life still has a boulder on our back, that it is still hard work and we're kind of working, going through life. But we know that one day... Everything will be made new. All creation will be made new. There will be no more pain and sickness and suffering. And so on the journey when life feels hard, know this. When you have been united with Jesus, he shares the boulder. He takes it from you. He carries it with you. And he says, hey, enjoy the view. Enjoy the relationship that you have with me. Enjoy the view of life as we go through this together with hope that one day all pain will be gone. Now, I think that there is a response in this for everybody. In fact, Martin Luther, a great theologian in the Reformation, one of the first things he said is that a Christian's life is one of ongoing repentance. In other words, if you choose that you're going to follow Jesus, your life is continually about being reset, reoriented, away from the created, back to the creator. It's about following him, giving him your attention, glorifying him, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, glorify God. So a Christian's life is one of ongoing repentance, reorienting our hearts back towards him. And so I'm gonna pray and I'm gonna invite all of us to say the words after me, to reorient themselves back to God, their creator. And this might be the first time that you're doing this. Maybe you've never done it. Maybe you've done it before, you've said it before, but actually you haven't been living a life of ongoing repentance. You've kind of got distracted by the desirable and pleasurable things in life, relationships that you love more than God that pull you away from God. The stuff, spending money, whatever it is for you, stuff that vies for your attention. Today it's about a coming back, a resetting, putting Jesus at the center of it all, as that song said. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it is all about you. And so if you feel comfortable to, and if that is your decision today, I'd love for you to repeat after me. Jesus, thank you that you came to give us life in all its fullness to direct us back to God sorry for when we worship the created and not the creator when we choose meaninglessness over meaning help us Lord to live a life free again to choose you to be happiest in you to enjoy being in relationship with you and while you're in that space if you prayed that for the first time I'd love for you to be bold and just put your hand up for me to see because we'd love to continue this conversation and if you're online the same goes for you put something in the comments section today I just believe then that God is wanting to do this new thing in your heart to recalibrate you reset Jesus as the center of it's all oh Jesus we love you thank you for my brothers and sisters thank you for your goodness to us